Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro. Yes, a podcast, a podcast all, about all about the Bible, theology, and things relating to the Christian faith. All things, all things, Brian. Come on, it's got, we're all encompassing. We're all. I'm glad we worked that out ahead of time. I mean, I know. People, people might have heard that and thought it was just off the cuff. <laughs> people are probably. Sick and tired of hearing that. Okay. I'll be honest. Right. So maybe I, I got to find a tagline. We need. Well, no, not the tagline. We just got to find a new way to start this without. Okay. The shtick. Anyway, because some people don't like the shtick. I've heard. All right. Anyway, but we're back. Now, and before we get started, yeah. you know, you, you wanted to you wanted to say something here, real quick. Well, I would just you know, it's kind of ironic in some ways. We've been going through the book of Daniel. There were. Uh, just before the recording of this episode, you know, after the recording of the last episode, obviously, there were the events that took place where Hamas uh, terrorist attacked Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, great toll of life, great loss of life there that was uh, just horrendous. Um, and then uh, we we have Israel poised to go into Gaza, and they've started uh, bombing and attacking. And so, you know, just a a real time of uncertainty and unease uh, in that part of the world. And uh, so, you know, Daniel's come up; it's become relevant, you know, again. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But uh, you know, we're going to continue to teach it the way that we always have and talk about it in that way. Um, and so, you know, it has, I don't think it's any more relevant today than it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And so I think, uh, you know, I think we need to just continue to learn its message. And uh, I think it has a universal and uh, long-term appeal. Um, it teaches us something for the for the long term. So, of course, yeah, we and, do, we, go ahead. Yeah, and I was going to say, a couple of years ago when we started this podcast, yeah. some kind of similar event had occurred yeah. at that time. Not, not as bad, yeah. Not, not nearly as bad. Um, but, you know, our, our statements still ring true here. It's a complicated situation. You know, we, we are not, we don't have the answer for that. You know, we pray for those uh, affected on, yeah. you know, they're, they're Palestinian Christians. There are, you know, like we, we pray for peace and loss of life yeah. and... Um, there are there are not easy answers to be had. I was thinking this, you know, because you know I knew I had to pray something on Sunday, and so I kind of, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying in, yes, in, pub, in a public sense. I'm yeah. praying. I'm praying other than Sunday, but but uh, you know, as so I was thinking about, it, I, I prayed the biblical prayer. You know, Lord, thwart the plans of the wicked. You know, may the may the plans of the wicked be thwarted, and may you know innocent life be protected. Um, and so, yeah, we do. We pray pray for peace as always. That we want to be peace loving and peace um, making people in in these kind of situations. I think so. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, with all that said, let's go uh, to Daniel. Huh? <laughs> yeah, we're going to, going to Daniel. And why this is interesting? You know, we talk about this. Right. Like this is interesting. There's a renewed interest in this. Is because we've gone through the the narrative parts. Right. Uh, that seems the the parts of Daniel that are. Uh, great flannel graphs, you know, like one through six. <laughs> Daniel the lion's den, right? Daniel the lion's den. You got the 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 furnace. furnace. I remember being like a uh, musical as a child at my church. Oh man, wow. man, this furnace is cool. So, you know, I was. I think I was one of those that was tossed in. Um, but uh, you look at me, I'm still here. Um, you know, so. <laughs> Anyway, I was thinking wishful thinking on the part of the youth sponsors. Probably, <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, 
Ryan's how can we gotta, make this fire real and toss Ryan's him in? Gotta go in. <laughs> well, anyway, anyway so we're gonna we're gonna have we're people at, thrown into fire by the end of, end of this chapter too. So. Yeah. Well, that. Yes. So anyway, we're past the narrative. We're past the flannel graphs. We're into Daniel seven. Right. Daniel seven is where you know this is the part I'm kind of. I yeah. was interested for us to get into. I mean, we've talked a little bit about sure. this because we, we were talking about this before we started. We we had done some stuff on the intertestamental period, the yeah. time between the Old and New Testament, and Daniel alludes to some of these things. I think so. Yeah, that's my that's my read of Daniel is it's really talking. It, I do believe it's predictive here from Daniel's perspective, and I do believe it's written during the historical Daniel's life, and I think it's pointing forward to these events that take place during the intertestamental period leading up to the time of the coming of the Messiah. Now, there are other readings, and I'll say a little bit about that later on today. There are other people who read this as as having a much longer range um, prophecy and, and to the point that we're still in it today. And, and mm-hmm. so we'll, right. we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. I thought it'd be interesting though. And, and I especially thought it was interesting. You brought up this chiastic structure that you find to the first, well, chapters two through seven of Daniel, you brought that up last week. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was from, uh, I'm trying to remember who, Oh, Tripper Longman, Tripper Longman. The one, yeah. yeah that is the one who, uh, who pointed that out. And, and here's the only thing I'll say is, is I always try to point out, even though we're, we do see a, a, a break between the narrative section and the visionary section here in, in chapter seven through 12, there are connections and, and like that, that, that this seems to be structurally related at least to the first six chapters. Uh, there's also the subject of the dream in two and and what we see in chapter seven are very, very closely related. And I'll point that out some. Uh, in fact, we may, you remember when I talk about the, the subject of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, this right. giant statue, uh, just to rehearse, head of gold, um, you know, uh, uh, chest and arms of, of silver, uh, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of uh, iron and then feet of iron mixed with clay. And you might remember that 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 was interpreted by Daniel to stand for these kingdoms that would come, the first kingdom being the Babylonian kingdom. Right. Uh, and, and I said then that there are some who interpret this to be not, not Babylon, Medo-Persia, uh, Greece, and then Rome, but they they interpret to be the next four kings, more or less. And uh, but I my thought is that he's talking about these kingdoms, and we're going to see a very similar thing in chapter seven. And yeah, then the, it, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. And the last thing I was just going to say is the other connection is is these visions are still within a narrative framework. Uh, you know, I'm all about the narrative. I'm always talking about yeah. narrative, but it's it's interesting. He, it, it, you always get these kind of introductions. Uh, so go ahead and read seven one, and then we'll get to what you were going to talk about here. Just read that first first point here. Yeah, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. So you get Belshazzar is actually, you know, remember back in chapter five, and you find him mm-hmm. being judged there. So this is when there is this transition taking place between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. So even though this is a vision, it's put within a narrative framework. In other words, he right. says, this is when I received this vision. And then, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. It says, and then he wrote these things down. And so even even that idea of them being preserved for us in, in the text itself and the narrative itself it kind of tells how that took place now well i, yeah, I was just Sorry yeah, yeah. What no, i was gonna, gonna say, say when i the thing is i think uh and i read you recommended a book uh several uh 
uh, was it plowshares and pruning hooks? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just um, talking about the nature of some of this language in here yeah. is that it is talks about apocalyptic uh, and prophecy. Apoca- yeah, it, like it's all it's uh, is it opaque? You know, like there's it's mm-hmm. cloudy intentionally. Yeah. Like it's not it's right. not always a direct. Right. Um, it's not always perfect how we do this, and so we have to do our best to interpret some of this stuff. Sure. And like it is prophetic, it is coming true, but it may not be exactly how we how we've interpreted it to come right. true. Is that right? I, I think know. that's true. Yeah, Brent Brent Sandy is the author of that book, um, uh, Pruning Hick. What was it? What say again? I think pruning it's hooks and pruning hooks. Plowshares and pruning hooks. I can never get. I always get it backwards. But um, yeah, and and yeah, talking about that that especially I think when you're talking those two first received it, yeah, definitely it was it was intentionally opaque, I think, and a little bit difficult to understand. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, no, the only thing that I, I pointed out when I started reading chapter seven was is what's interesting is the connection to Daniel two, but that's to Nebuchadnezzar. Yes. And then it's uh-huh. and then here we are, it's time of Bel- Belshazzar. Belshazzar. So Nebuchadnezzar has the dream, yep. Daniel interprets, and now Daniel's having the dream of the, well, the vision. Gonna, yeah. The vision the, of the vision. That's gonna... He's awake. Uh, you know, although, uh, is it here or later on? He talks about being on his bed. I think this is, says he has a vision while he's on his bed at night, right? Is that what you just read in verse one? Uh, he had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. Lying in bed. So. But, uh, you know, sometimes there's a distinction made between vision. And, of course, vision has to do with seeing, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and these are the things that he, he, he saw. Okay. Uh, on, on chapter 7, verse 1, then, you have that idea of this change in, uh, how would I say this, this change, transition in power, right? You have Nebuchadnezzar, and then this is the first year of Belshazzar. And it's interesting how many times you have these kind of Oh, how do I say it? Prophetic word given in these kind of transitional periods, mm-hmm. and, and it reminds us again the characteristics of apocalyptic. Uh, do you might, might remember when we've talked about introduction to apocalyptic a long time ago? One of the characteristics is that it always arises in times of kind of political turmoil when there is these these kind of transitions. It, uh, my favorite example is is always uh, Isaiah chapter six, which you know all of Isaiah is an apocalyptic, but it does have some apocalyptic characteristics but isaiah chapter 6 says in the year king uzziah died uh, i saw the lord there's a visionary experience right isaiah says i saw the lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple right and so so these kind of experiences often happen in in times of transition and it's because god's people are often in difficult circumstances then these transitions Mm. mean things may be getting worse Um, there's at least uncertainty And, and so what they're looking for is basically what is the cosmic reality, even though things around us now may look very unsettled. Uh, so we just mentioned the conflict in, in you know, uh, uh, Gaza and, uh, and Israel right now. And it's in times like this where things are very unsettled that people begin to wonder about their faith and, and they begin to think about is, is God really in control of, of these things? You know, what's going on here? And so, apocalyptic is always answering that question of giving the big picture even though this is how things seem here you got to remember the big picture of god's plan and what god is doing Uh, often apocalyptic and we'll see this not at the beginning of chapter seven but we'll see it before we're done with chapter seven often apocalyptic has either a supernatural or some kind of divine guide 
who mm-hmm. who kind of shows this cosmic reality. And then finally, there's always a use of a large degree of symbolic language. And that's what becomes very difficult um, to interpret sometimes. But but symbols always have their the symbols have almost a, a language of their own so to speak um you know speaking again visionary it's speaking in a visual media and and we're very adept at i'm saying our culture is very adept at interpreting you know like movies like uh, we've talked about this before visual effects in movies we can interpret very well uh, and it's the same kind of thing there's a symbolic language we have here in apocalyptic that um that helps us understand this. So, okay. All um, right. So, yeah, go ahead. We, no, nothing. We got, we, we, we got the foundation here. We're ready yeah, to roll. There we go. go ahead with verses two and three. Then if you, if you yeah. read that for me, Daniel said in my vision at night, I looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea, four great beasts, each different from the others came up out of the sea. Okay. So a couple things I'll say here, the four winds of heaven themselves, kind of mark this this sense of transition uh four four winds if you think about their four cardinal directions we always say you know north south east and west and the idea of the four winds coming from each of those is kind of the idea that everything is is in flux and everything is kind of blowing i I was thinking about um you know one of my favorite um songwriters is bob dylan and uh you know he wrote this song blowing in the wind and it's that mm-hmm. you know he wrote that in a time of turmoil in the united states and it's kind of that everything's we even use this term right everything's up in the air you know we're 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 un, everything's kind of uncertain so the four winds of heaven kind of signal that the sea is mentioned here which for israelites was always a place of danger uh, the sea they always thought about kind of the primordial sea and that's where bad things come from Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really interesting, especially for Israel, because they they were never sailors. They they turned their back on the sea. They didn't they didn't uh, take the coastline. They didn't have a lot of port cities uh, in the ancient in, in the ancient world, and, and so the sea was always a, a place of danger and uncertainty and and kind of turmoil for them as well. So this is where this beast comes from. And I want you to remember some of these details because I'm actually gonna we're not if we did this all the time we would spend all our time flipping back and forth the book of revelation because john uses daniel's language like you know uh like a hip-hop artist sampling you know um some some previous hip-hop artist well i was gonna say r&b you know yeah that kind of thing um but uh anyway um so what i was gonna say is you have this and then you have this this idea of the four beast and i mentioned before there's this idea that um Chapter two, we've already seen uh, four, you know, this number four having significance, uh, the four kingdoms that are to come. And so it's probably, you know, it it would signal that for us that we're expecting something tied to the four, that series of four um, that we saw, we saw then. Um, Oh, I put that in the, I put it, I just looking at my notes and I put it in the wrong place. So I apologize. Uh, Go ahead and read chapter seven and verse four. Okay, chapter 7, verse 4. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. Now, we're going to get... So these beasts are not always going to have... <laughs> they're not always going to be the kind of things you can go to the zoo and look at, right? This is a lion 
with wings like a beast. And I'll never, I'll never forget the first time this came together for me. And it wasn't something I was taught. It's something I went and I went, oh, I think, I think, I think somebody tried to teach me this, but I like slapped myself on the forehead. I went to um, the museum in London, the uh, British Museum, and they have the gates of uh, one of Nebuchadnezzar's cities there, uh, gates of, of Babylon there. And, and, the imagery there, I wish I wish we had a picture of it, but the, the imagery there is of a lion with with wings and then a, a head, kind of like the sphinx, a head of a man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was a symbol of, of Nebuchadnezzar's empire and the, uh, the Babylonian uh, empire. That was one of their symbols that was used. But it's interesting, even this is where the note before I, was, I made, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 49, what Jeremiah is talking about here is that God is going to send a ruler who's going to bring judgment on the Babylonians and take them into exile. And of course, uh, I'm sorry, the the Israelites. Did I say the Babylonians? Yeah. Going to bring a, a, a ruler to to judge the Israelites and take them into exile. And of course, that is Neb, that is none other than the Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, in chapter 49 of Jeremiah, verse 19, he says, "Though you were ruined and made desolate, and your land rate." laid waste now you'll be too small for your people and those who devoured you uh will be far away uh, this idea of the uh, of devouring um and i missed i missed part of this but anyway he's referred to as a lion here in this yeah. place yeah forty nine nineteen, like a lion coming up from jordan's thicket to a rich oh. <laughs> pasture land i will chase eden from its land in an instant I was in uh, Isaiah. Read that again. I, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry about that. Yeah, no. So uh, this is uh, Jeremiah forty nine nineteen. Like a lion coming up from Jordan's thicket to a rich pasture land, pasture land yeah. I will chase Eden from its land in an instant. Who is the chosen one? I'll appoint for this. Who is like me and who can challenge me? And at what and what shepherd can stand against me? So, so God's saying I'm going to bring this person up. But go ahead. Yeah, and then and uh, I'll, I'll jump down to twenty two. Look, an eagle will soar will soar and swoop down spreading its wings over basra and that day the hearts of edom's warriors will be like the heart of a woman in labor so nebuchadnezzar i just found this interesting nebuchadnezzar is described in isaiah 49 or i keep saying isaiah jeremiah chapter 49 both as a lion and an eagle and and again i think that's i I don't i think the the iconography that he had himself was first right this lion with eagle's wings and the head of a man but it, it's it's a poetic way a prophetic way to kind of talk about that nebuchadnezzar is going to be the one to do this and so you know it's not surprising that we have the babylonian empire described as a lion with eagle's wings, wings. but then there's this other part of it that the wings are torn off and this lion is caused to stand up like a man. And again, this makes me think about that that uh, depiction. And most of you have seen it, right? This idea of a lion. Ryan, are you familiar with that? The lion with eagle's wings and the uh-huh. head of a man. You, you've seen those yeah. kind of symbols. And, and and so this idea that it's he's being made to stand upright like a man, given the heart of a man, is the way that um, that it, that it's said here. Um, and w- what does that sound like to you? What does that remind you of that we've seen already in the book of Daniel, would you say? This- it sounds like Nebuchadnezzar going nuts and eating <laughs> and the grass. And becoming a beast. And then, and, yeah. and so here's like the, the inversion of it a little bit here. Here's the thing I think is, is so the wings, and we'll get it's to the this. Humbling. Lo- hum- 
Right. Lion is the is is the most feroc- was seen in the ancient world as the most ferocious beast. So it was kind of the, the the power. The eagle's wings talks about the speed. So you imagine again, like kind of the, the Babylonians taking over the ancient world, but now the wings being taken off is a bit of a humbling experience. Mm-hmm. And then you know, and so you think back to that chapter where we have this really weird story about Nebuchadnezzar essentially becoming very proud that he had done these things on his own. And God basically saying, no, you, you got to remember that I'm using you as as a tool in my hand. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, you mentioned he ate, ate, ate the grass of field like a beast and then was given this heart uh, of a man. And so I think what we're symbolizing here is that transition we see in Nebuchadnezzar, even you know from his early uh, reign to his later reign. So I think that that's what this is. This first beast is symbolizing. Verse uh, s- chapter seven, verse five has the second uh, beast that's mentioned there. Now I need to get out of Jeremiah. After yeah. I, I'll, after I'll I read, read, I'll read it here. here. Yeah. <laughs> now, just last week, I had too much coffee. Brian told me before we started, he's had no coffee today. So, trigger so warning last week: too much coffee for me. Trigger warning: Brian's had no coffee today. I've had no coffee. All right, so uh, verse 5, and there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear, and it was raised up on on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. Okay, so bears were also seen as ferocious, and, and usually they were kind of seen second. Because they were. <laughs> because they are, right? Oh, they're seen as ferocious back then. Today we pet them. No, they're still ferocious. But anyway, they they were kind of second to the lion, right? And so here's this here's this other kingdom that also has a degree of ferocity, and, and I'm kind of doing this. I'm cheating a little bit because I'll go ahead and tell you we're going to see the same kind of uh, reality these four kingdoms played out again and again. Uh, this isn't the last time we're going to be introduced to these four kings. This is kind of this kingdoms. This is kind of the introduction, and like we've talked about in the Book of Revelation in the past. There, there is more of a spiral nature to this than there is a long chronological one. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get the same story played out in different ways, emphasizing different things. That You know what this sounds like to me? A little bit like Revelation. The book of Revelation. Amazing. Well, just just wait if you think it sounds like it. So so this bear then, uh, and here's where I'm cheating. It says he's he's kind of on one side. He's he's leaning over is the way it's sometimes described. Up on you know one side is lifted up is kind of the idea, and, and so this second kingdom is often described as uneven, and this second kingdom we call what do you remember the the Medo Persian Medo Persian. So it's really two different uh, kingdoms that are that are come together. The Medes. And the Medes are very quickly, though, surpassed by the Persians. Uh, so, so this is probably that description of the of the up on one side is this idea that the Persians are going to be more powerful in the long run than than the Mede, Medo part of the Medo Persian Empire. And then he's got these three ribs in its mouth, and there's lots of debate over what this means. I think the best way to understand this is just talking about three kingdoms that the that the Medo Persian Empire overtakes. They 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 overtake the Babylonian, uh, then they end up taking Israel as well, and, and then and they Egypt. take Egypt. And so these three ribs, and it says to, you know fill up yourself on this on the flesh, basically take over all of these. And so that's how I see this. I, I see that playing out. You want to say anything else about that? Any other comments or questions? 
Uh, no, so just for timeline's sake for yeah. me, as, mm-hmm. as we talk about this, uh, oh, never mind, never mind, because the Babylonians take over the Egyptians when, because they're called up, wait, 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 the six Syrians, six. Car- the Syrians Car- do this. Battle of Carchemish. Carchemish, yeah. that's when uh-huh. Egypt is destroyed by the Assyrians, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry, yeah. I'm getting all my battles mixed up. <laughs> all these guys are fighting no, no. constantly. I get it, yeah. Okay, so anyway, so they come through, they take... Uh, the Medes, Medo-Persians take uh, the Babylonian Empire, they uh-huh. take Israel, and they take Egypt. So, Egypt. Yeah, which yeah. was the yeah. powerhouse has now been... Right. And that takes over. place, obviously, you know, that's the transition between chapters five and six, right? Mm-hmm. Or in the beginning of chapter five, I should say, of uh, that's where you see the Belshazzars writing on the wall, which we took, right. talked about then. Um, so then there's this this third kingdom not to give it away but look look at chapter 7 verse 6 yeah after that i looked and there before me was another beast lots of beasts running around here one that <laughs> looked four. like a leopard yeah a le- that looked like a leopard and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird the beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule okay so the leopard is is known for speed Right. That's that's what's and I keep saying kingdom and I'm kind of giving away the ending because later on that's the interpretation that's given. But uh, leopards have to do with speed and then you get four wings. Right. Not just a couple of wings. We get four wings here. So we think about the speed and, and I always say this third kingdom speed is always associated with this third kingdom because this is talking about Alexander the Great. This is talking about the Greeks uh, and Alexander was able to very quickly uh move across the entire known world and, and to take it. Uh, but then it says, and, and there's not a lot given a lot of the detail we're going to see later on, but it says that this, um, this beast has four heads as well. And, um, after Alex, of course, Alexander died young and after him, you might remember as we mentioned, we, we had a whole episode on this in the intertestinal period, four of his generals, uh, end up, um, fighting over his kingdom and trying to trying to take over the empire, and so that that period is called the Diadochoi period, the Diadochoi, and and that's probably what these four heads are talking about: the Seleucids and um, and Ptolemies. Uh, Ptolemies and the uh, Antigonus and the other dude. Um, so <laughs> so that's that's what this, this is beast. why you come to the bistro for that deep <laughs> details. So that's what this this beast is referring other to. Other guy. Yeah. yeah. Now, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 7. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. Okay, so... A couple of things here. The first is that this beast isn't described by an animal. It's it's a beast of another kind, so to speak. Mm. Uh, and and you know, there's there's some you know, it's how's it described? They're terrifying, right? It, it's it's yeah. it's a terrifying and frightening and frightening. very powerful. So we're thinking about you know maybe some kind of a, a mythical beast, something that's even even you know more. You know, beyond what we could imagine, what we've seen um, in, in the beast lion, leopard, so and bear. Exactly, exactly. And and um, the other interesting thing I think with this beast is that iron is mentioned. It's teeth of iron that's used to crush. And this is the first time we have a direct reference back to those metals that we talked about in in chapter two. Chapter two. But I do think that that shows the connection. And you might remember it was that fourth kingdom that he talked about that was the Iron Kingdom. 
and, and so that connection, I think, I think holds uh, the di- diverse uh, of a different kind. It, it, that could have one of two meanings. It could either say that it's different than. Um, the other three beasts, or it could also have this idea that it's di- it, it had a diversity within itself, and and I kind of lean there because that's you might remember we also have that description of the statue with the iron and the clay that are clay mixed, mixed together, and it says there specifically these are these are you know a, a mixed people uh, is what it says back in chapter two, and and so there's there's a, a tension there, and so I think that may be what what that diversity or that difference is talking about. But then he says that this beast has 10 horns and horns in op- apocalyptic literature and symbolically just in general often refer to rulers. And, and we're going to see that this is what these 10 horns uh, refer to. I think we're talking here about Rome and we're talking about the, the leaders of the Romans. Although there's other this other little horn that takes place um, that depending on how we interpret this horn, um, you know, gives us a little bit of pause when we think about how to how to understand it. So that's that's where we're getting to chapter seven and verse eight. I'll go ahead and read that since I've got it here in front of me. Okay. It says, um, oh, and and I should say that that kingdom there, or that beast, which we're going to see as a kingdom, you know, it 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 goes beyond the others in de- basically devouring everything else that that is left you know everything that is that is done yeah crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left yeah whatever was left so then uh verse eight what i was uh thinking when i was thinking about while i was thinking about these horns and i find this yeah i know sorry i find this interesting because um it shows that daniel these visions are given to him and he also ponders them you know we talk about daniel's wisdom we talk about his mm-hmm. you know you know and, and it's it's like i was thinking about these things and i didn't understand them was kind of the implication of it while i was thinking about these horns there was before me another horn a little one uh probably here we're talking about a ruler who started off smaller or started off with less standing, uh, which then came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And this is going to become an important uh, part of this whole description. Uh, So I thought at this point, before we go too much farther, it might be interesting. Like I said, we're not going to do this all the time, but look back at Revelation chapter 13. Uh, can you turn to that for me? I can. And kind of read those first five verses. Actually, let me do that. Here's because here's what I want you to do. Ryan, I want you to listen. We've not rehearsed this ahead of time like we usually rehearse these shows. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read That's this. That's why it's so smooth like <laughs> butter. I'm going to read this, and I want you to listen, and, and, and I want you to notice all of the all of the parallels that you can think of here as I read this. Okay. So chapter 13 once starts with the dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast its power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to 
utter proud words and blasphemies and exercises authority for 42 months. So what similarities or differences do you do you notice here? Uh, well, coming out of the sea. Yeah, okay. The beast coming out of the sea. We have the, the bear, lion. Uh, did we have leopard? Leopard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had leopard there. We had the 10 horns yep. and the crowns on them. Then we had the... Um, Oh gosh! Then we had what was the last thing you were just talking the, about? Oh, the the mouths, the blasphemy, the blasphemy, and the proud utterings. That's that's why I kind of stopped there, because so so now the interesting thing is the difference here is John makes this one beast right, mm-hmm. uh, but he uses this same kind of symbol symbology. He uses these same kind of. Um, uh, these same, same kind of symbols. He uses the same kind of uh, language here to talk about these things. But but he he's writing in a time where that final beast is the one who's mm-hmm. this 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 um, you know iron tooth beast that we're talking about iron back in clay Daniel tooth beast. Right. He's he's the one who's who's living during that period of time. So. Again, we can't do this all the time, but I do want you to hang on to that last thing. It says that he spoke these uh, but uh, blasphemies for 42 months. Hold on to that for just a minute. We'll talk a little about that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So then we get a, a shift of scene, and we get chapter 7, 9a. While I'm thinking about these things, um, Daniel says, uh, we have this little, little um, um, horn that grows up. But then the beginning of verse nine, it says, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. So ancient of days here, the ancient one or the ancient of days has to do with the eternal one, basically. And and so we're talking about the Lord God in this case. And and while all this is going on, and particularly in this in this situation where there are these blasphemies and these this proud, uh, this um, rulers speaking out of pride, the the thrones are set in place, and um, God is on His throne. So, the image here, of course, is that ultimately, no matter what happens with these other kingdoms and and all their pride and whatever, God is the one who's ultimately the one who's sovereign. He's the one who's ultimately the one who's ruling. And also, there's this idea of judgment we're going to see that He's going to bring judgment. Uh, on these beasts and on uh, on what they stand for, essentially. Mm-hmm. So go ahead then and read verses 9b through 10, and we'll think a little bit about those images, yeah. the way he's thrones, described. Yeah, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Yeah, there we go. It's Revelation, Revelation 2, right? Well, and, and I don't know if you remember Revelation chapter 1, but this is the way Jesus is described essentially here with his uh, hair like white wool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so white, uh, there's two two main images here we have in description of, of God himself. Um, and there, there's different words that are used for this, but one is the pure white and the other is the fire, right? There's um, a lot of fire here. <laughs> blazing wheels, there's a river yeah. of fire, all that kind of stuff. So the white, the symbol, the white typically symbolizes purity, 
Mm-hmm. Or we would say, you know, the theological word, we'd say holiness. So white refers to God's holiness, that he's set apart. Uh, he's He's above all of these, these other rulers. The fire has kind of a twofold nature to it. Fire can sometimes... It does relate to purity in this sense that fire purifies, right? It, it it burns away the dross. It burns away the the impurities. But it also can be used for judgment. Uh, you know, when you when you're at war and you sack a village, you you burn it. You know, that's the judgment that you bring on it. Uh, or even we talked about casting into a fire. You had the you know that was the judgment that was brought on um, the friends of Daniel. Um, and and so you know this is the other the other idea the other thought that we could have uh, with these, and then we have you mentioned the books uh, we have this idea of a, a court being set up so God is attended by thousands upon a th- upon thousands and then he has an audience we could say of ten thousand times ten thousand that are preparing for this courtroom scene. And so the books that are opened here have to do with that idea. He, the judge is on his throne, and the the judgment books are being opened. That's what, certainly what it is in the book of Revelation. And again, I don't want to read back, but that's that's kind of the image that we're uh, we're being given. The court being set. Mm-hmm. Questions on that, or thought other thoughts that you had on that? Uh, no, just that it seems a lot like Revelation. You know, that John Spark. <laughs> just just uh, you know, uh, yeah. part of the thing for me with the the fire, it just made me think yeah. about. You know, you've, yeah, we've got this beast. He's like, the, the he. It seems like he's different than the others. He's got all this thing, this power. But then we have this ancient of days who's yeah. breathing fire, living in. Fi- <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. it's ju- like you know, like for me, is at this juxtaposition between like, yeah. hey, he looks terrifying, but now look at this, the ancient of days. Yeah. Uh, you know, his throne was flaming with fire. There's a river right. of fire flowing from him. That there's. You know, is it kind of the rest of Daniel? We talked about like there's this battle yeah. where we talked about like the God, the God of Daniel versus the God right. of the, the nations he was with, and so right. I don't know. That's just was kind of spinning through my head as we as we sure. read that just that juxtaposition and this uh, idea of power that he's sitting in judgment, all these things, and and the the power that he contains. Right. No, I think I think that's that's good. Um, I, I was going to mention you. You were saying something to me about the looking. Do you want to say that now, or do you oh wanna, yeah, just because because seems... you see that at the beginning of verse nine. As I was looking, mm-hmm. you, you know that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like we we see there's this repetition of as I looked, yeah. as I looked. So uh, as you said, like in nine, it says as I looked. As you go back, chapter seven. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, um, and I think it's I think that kind of phrase. Um, Verse six, after that, I looked like there's this constant, he's keeping his eyes on what is, what is ahead. Like, and there seems to be a chronological piece of this, but he can't take his eyes off what he's seen here. There's a looking, there's a perceiving what is, what is coming ahead. And that this, after I looked is a very uh, repetitious and there's something important that's happening after we see that phrase, after I looked, this, the next progression of, of what's happening. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. His, uh, you know, his wisdom has to do, I think with, with this looking and we're going to see even here, it's interesting. I mentioned, you know, he's known for his wisdom, but Joe, uh, um, Daniel constantly is giving credit to God for, uh, for this. And we're going to see that this is true, even, even in what he's, what he's getting ready to do. Yeah. So and, and you know, in like verse 11 here, as we continue this, then yeah. I continue to watch this, this, I look, I look, 
I watch. Yeah, go ahead and read ver- verses 11, 12 since you yeah, started Then there. I continued to watch because of the, uh, the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until uh-huh. the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. So the, the last beast, this terrifying beast, is thrown into the fire. It's killed and thrown into the fire. And there's that, that idea I mentioned earlier, judgment mm-hmm. here that's brought upon it. This idea that the others are allowed to live for a little bit of a time, I think this is really kind of the message uh, of, of all this apocalyptic stuff. Why, why are these things happening? Well, it's because these kingdoms are given reign for a period of time. But at the same time, you need to remember that God is the one who's ultimately in charge. Um, so that's the message for God's people, I think. That's the, that's the message that these authors, like Daniel, is wanting to get across, even though it might seem like the Nebuchadnezzar is the one, or Belshazzar in, in this case is the one who's calling the shots. Ultimately, God is still on his throne, and, and he is the one who is using even these rulers to accomplish his purpose but when they start speaking proud words right just like we saw with nebuchadnezzar back in chapter uh was that three or four three um you know even though we see that no it's four uh even though we see that god is the one who's ultimately able to humble them right and 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 so it's the same kind of thing here uh this is the message i think we're getting i have a question sure is Daniel the revelation of the Old Testament? <laughs> In a way, I think. Uh, you know, you're talking about when it when it appears, and and uh, well, it's at the I, end, I, of, no, end of the mean, book. I mean, it's not the end of the book, but it seems like you know we look at the, the book of Revelation, and it is for people in a time of distress. You know, what I mean, again, yeah. we've talked about that. This is the nature of apocalyptic yeah. uh, literature, but it seems to be like, hey, here's some things that are going to go down. You know what I mean? Like yeah. here's, you know, we see, we talked about the cycle thing, as I say, sure. like this seems like revelation. Would yeah. this have been, and I mean, I know there's other prophetic literature that's happening there, right. but it's just the same kind of, you know, I know we can't exactly peer <laughs> in their heads, but how did they perceive this? Like this is the, this is stirring up for them something of a, I, that I revelation so. should serve I, for us. I think it is similar. I mean, there's other similarities too, right? Because, John is captive of Rome <laughs> on yeah. Patmos, and of course Daniel was taken into captivity into Babylon. So you you have that kind of thing. So I think they give right. I guess I I think that's the beginning of the similarities. Is is the situation that God's people find themselves in during the period of the Babylonian captivity and the period of the Roman oppression are very similar. D- does that make sense? Yeah. And, and so so. You know, you say, is Daniel the, you know, I guess the, the, the way to really ask the question is Revelation, the Daniel of the New Testament, right? Because, yes. well, you get yes. what I'm saying is because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't read it backwards. I understand. <laughs> Daniel came first. And, and I mean, I've already tried to show you. And, and I mean, I've already passed up other opportunities we had to show you that that there is no question that John uses the language of Daniel in order to get across his message. And the other thing I'll say is his message is very similar. Um, the Caesars seem to be, you know, Nero seems to be in charge or Domitian in this case uh, seems to be in charge and, and seems to want only bad things for God's people. But you've got to remember that God is on his throne. And, and that's what I think is here. Cause now think about revelation again. Now see, now you got me started. 
what's you know after the letters to seven churches what's the first thing that happens is we're given a glimpse into this throne room scene mm-hmm. right that there is this this throne and there is god on the throne and and that's that you know i said that cosmic reality uh, when we look with our, and that, this is the looking stuff you were talking about too, right? Mm-hmm. When we look with our human eyes at, at the situation around us, like right now, we say, well, there's division in our own country. There's war in Ukraine. There's war in Israel. Um, you know, there's there's all these things going on. And that's what we see. And it seems like things are spiraling out of control. But there is a cosmic reality that would say God's plan has not been thwarted and God's plan continues despite sometimes human evil, uh, the actions of, of, of evil human beings, uh, sometimes oppressive uh, tactics of governments, right? Uh, God's plan continues despite all this. So that, that's why I think these, this message is relevant. That's why I think it's just as relevant today as it was three weeks ago, though, right? Um, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we remind ourselves that God is the one who is ultimately acting uh, in, in these things, um, and, and He's acting for for the good of His people. Um, so, so let me let me go ahead with verse. Does that make sense or not? Is yeah, that, no, it makes sense. Perfect. That's, that's a good 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 question. I think so. Um, Verse 13, then, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Now, here's where we're going to get the real hero. Uh, Some of your older translations are going to say the son of man with capital S and capital N. Most newer translations will say a son of man because it seems to be an indefinite article here that, or, you know, lack, there's a lack of an article here. So, what it says then is that, uh, even as he's looking again in my vision at night, there was one who who came with a cloud of heaven. It says the Son of Man who comes with a cloud of heaven, clouds of heaven, um, and, and gods were often seen to be ones who rode clouds. You know, I'm thinking about Baal now, uh, the one who rode the clouds, and it says he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And, and here's what happens then, verse 14: He was given authority glory and sovereign power all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him so here's the things that happen he's given a power power authority he's he's worshiped and then his dominion is an everlasting dominion he's given an eternal kingdom his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed in light of these beasts who are who are very quickly able to be done away with. One one beast comes and replaces another, right? One kingdom rises and another kingdom falls. But in in place of that, we are looking forward to this son of man who's going to come and establish an eternal kingdom. And that's the promise. That's the promise that Daniel is is holding out for his people. And again, like you said, it's not new with him. This this would go back at least as far as Second Samuel chapter seven, where where God says to David, "There, I'm going to raise up one of your offspring who's going to establish an eternal kingdom." And uh, you know that that promise of an eternal kingdom is one that we you know that the people would have held on to and Daniel points to it directly. So here's the here's kind of the end of the end of the line of these beasts is these kingdoms will rise and fall until the establishment of the mess let's call it the messianic kingdom. 
the kingdom of the Son of Man. Uh, that's what Daniel is saying that 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 the people in that time need need to look uh, forward to. So did I read both? Yeah, I read thirteen and fourteen there. So here is where Daniel then looks for divine or supernatural help in understanding this vision. You go ahead and read verses fifteen and sixteen if you would. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So one of those standing there, um, just to be specific, um, he's he's probably talking about one of the attendants. Uh, so you remember a thousand by, by a thousand attended him. And so he goes to one of the attendants and he basically says, hey, what's going on here? Hey, I saw it. I just stopped. I, kept, I saw it. I kept looking. But what am I supposed to do with this? And so here's where we get the interpretation. And this is the supernatural guide that we often have in, in these situations. So go ahead and see what, what he says. And, and I think that we first we get kind of a summary of everything we've seen. Yeah. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most Go terrifying. Ahead. Let's just stop there right now. But so, so this is kind of the summary of what goes before is that there's going to be kingdoms rise and fall, right? These mm -hmm. four kingdoms are going to rise and fall. And then the, the people of God are going to receive the kingdom and, and, and they're going to they're and it's going to be eternal right forever so what i believe this points to well let's see if you can guess what do you, what do you think it points to that what that the kingdom the kingdom of god yeah yeah that's what it's i think it's the points kingdom to. of god that's it but but it's interesting if if we think about these kingdoms again in the way that i'm interpreting them if we think about them as um babylonia uh, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome, mm -hmm. it's at that time. You, you might remember back in the dream of chapter two, in the time of those kings, uh, then uh, that's when the rock comes and crushes. The and he stone, says, and the, then it grew the, and grew and grew. In the time of those kings, there is going to, God is going to establish an eternal kingdom, right, that will mm -hmm. never pass away. It fills the earth. And so that's that's what I think is being referred to. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say, before you read this next part, the other way that this is sometimes interpreted, uh, and, and again, I, I'm not agreeing with his interpreta interpretation. I've pretty much given you what I think it's saying and what I think it's not saying. Uh, there are some people who think that this kingdom has to keep going because we don't yet have the full establishment of the kingdom. And that's that's one of the characteristics of this way of thinking Mm -hmm. is the kingdom has not yet come. Kingdom come would refer to a, a future event in our situation as well. We're waiting for the second coming of Christ to the establishment of that kingdom. And um, if you think that, then you have to stretch this fourth kingdom. What? What are you Keep laughing nothing. at? I was going to say... <laughs> If you think that you're wrong, I kept thinking that's what you were going to say. <laughs> if you think that you have to stretch the time of this fourth kingdom... And you have mm -hmm. to do it. There's a couple of different ways people try to do that. So this fourth kingdom, uh, sometimes they make base. Well, they they still often identify as Rome, 
But then they might say, well, this mm-hmm. is either the Roman Catholic Church is one that's kind of an older way to see this. This kingdom still continues and still stands. And obviously, that would be a Protestant way of thinking, right, about this. Yes. But the other possibility is, and this is, um, I, I think I'm not wrong to say this is like Beth Moore's study. This is, I think, the approach that she would take. Uh, and the reason I, I think I can say that I've listened to to her speak on this is that the the times that we continue to live in, they would see us an extension of this Roman period. In other words, the governments that we live in now are an extension of that Roman um, that that Rome has not really fallen. That the fourth right. kingdom has really not fallen. Yes, yet. and so we're still awaiting that time of the kingdom. Now, I believe uh, not only because of my reading of this and the Book of Revelation, and and um, but also the reading of the Gospels and what Jesus is coming to to say. I have no reason to believe that Jesus did not establish the kingdom in in his. In his time, right, mm-hmm. uh, in his death, burial, and resurrection, and uh, you know he he teaches a lot about the kingdom of God, as we've mentioned before. We had a whole episode on the kingdom of God, right? And one of the things that Jesus consistently teaches is that the kingdom of God is coming soon, and is even in your midst, right? You find it in your midst. And so I think that we have this, you know, I think the kingdom has already been established. So I think that Daniel, and we're going to see later on, there's some end of the world kind of stuff that, that, that he talks about, but Daniel writes for these things that are in the future from his perspective, but are in the past from our perspective is the way that I would, I would Mm -hmm. see this. Okay. So um, let's go a little bit further. I know we probably need to wrap up pretty quickly because we're we're using a lot of time on this. But it's anyway. It's it, this last part is basically just the interpretation uh, of what we've seen. So verse nineteen says, "Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and more terrifying, most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws." Uh, which wasn't mentioned earlier, I don't think. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people and the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. So, you know, here's the question. Is this, you know, again, if we're thinking strictly chronological, is this after the events that took place or is this a reiteration of the events that took place? Um, so even though those kings, those those horns seem to represent the Caesars, this could refer, and you've, you asked me this before, was this Antiochus Epiphanes? Is this mm-hmm. referring to what we've talked about in the Maccabees? And, and that does seem to be what's being referred to. Later on, we're going to see some very specific references to Antiochus Epiphanes, chapter 10 particularly. But but this idea that, um, that he is the one who's waging war against the... Um, against the uh, uh god's people. people and and i'll refer to our our passage or our passage our episode on the uh on the um 
intertestamental period if you want to hear more about that. But just quickly, I will say that what Antiochus Epiphanes did in response to people, uh, in, in response to the Jewish people not wanting him to rule over them, uh, when they rebelled against him, he basically cracked down and tried to absolutely do away with God's law. He tried to get rid of the all of the copies of the Old Testament to, to that point. He tried to um, abolish the sacrifice. Uh, Desecrate he, he put, the temple. Desecrate the temple, slaughtered a pig on the altar, put an image of himself as Zeus in the in the temple where there wasn't supposed to be a graven image, you know, did everything he could in, in force Jewish people to eat pork, did everything that he could in order to to do away with um, the 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 worship of of Yahweh, and, and so that's probably what what we're referring to here in this in this part. So then, I think we're at twenty three. Do you want to read twenty three through twenty five? Yeah. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the other, from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times and a half a time. So this idea of the set times is referring to the t- the festivals. He'll try to do away with the festivals, uh, essentially, is the idea of the like, Jewish festivals, the prescribed feasts. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, the again, the one problem is if we understand the ten to be the Caesars, we're talking about one who comes after. And those who interpret it as in a chronological way are going to say this is the Antichrist. This is the one that we are still waiting for and looking for, this Antichrist who's going to try to you know, turn against God's people. But again, I would see this as, first of all, a reference to Antiochus Epiphanes. And then in, in the time of the book of Revelation, of course, we have the similar kind of thing happening with Domitian. And so... You know Nero, Domitian. I think I think it's it's kind of echoes. It's a repeated kind of thing uh, that we see. Comments or questions on that? Anything yeah. So you wanna, the, the yeah. first one with the three, the back, the the ten horns, the three, yeah. the three of them that fell, the horn looked more imposing. That's Antiochus, and now we're I on to the so. fourth beast, and we're seeing Roman Empire, kind of this. It's kind of the same thing, Nero, Domitian, like in Revelation. There's, and there's a, there's a repetition of that. Now, gotcha. I want to mention this time, two times and a half a time, because that probably is, I think, is referring to years. Mm-hmm. So a year, two years, time, times, and then a half a year. So that's together three and a half years, mm-hmm. which seems to be a pretty important uh, period of time. It's the period of time that Antiochus Epiphanes, for example, um, was able to continue desecrating the temple for that period of time until um, uh, Judas Maccabeus and and the uh, uh, Hasmonean boys were all able to break in and, and take <laughs> take that over. Yeah. That'd be a great band name, Judas Maccabeus and the Hasmonean boys. But um, this time, two times, blue, blue, it's gonna be bluegrass <laughs> though if you do it. This time, two times and half time becomes in in apocalyptic literature a very important. It becomes symbolic really for the time. That, um, time that, of we're trial. Lo- that we're losing, yeah, time of trial, that kind of thing. So three and a half years, which is equivalent to how many months? Uh, how many months? Well, 30, 36 plus 6, 42 months. 42. 
which is also 1,280 days. 1,260 days. Uh, on a, on, by 30, when you multiply by 30, it's 1,260, which is a revelation term as well. But the 42 yeah. months we saw earlier in chapter 13, right? Uh, the 1,260 days you see in chapters 11 and 12 of the book of Revelation. So those seem to be references back to this to this time, two times and half a time, time, times and half a time that we see here in this place. Yeah. Does that <laughs> have some connection to... Does that have any connection to Elijah and the drought? And uh, there, there are people who've elected, who've, who've mentioned that period as well. It's half of seven. You know, it's half of seven mm-hmm. years. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a period of trial. Often, it's a, it's a period when things, you know, the trampling so the, of the. Well, because Elijah, it's when the Baal, when all the priests of Baal are yeah. slaughtered, and then the, the rains come after yep. a time of drought. Yeah. Okay. So, sorry. So these are all, you know, those are these are all things that can be can have that kind of an idea. Yep. Okay. So then, um, look at verses twenty six and twenty seven. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed for forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. Now. Go ahead. Yeah, this is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled at my thoughts, and my face turned pale. But I kept the matter to myself, except when I wrote it down. So that part, I think, has to do with just the things that are going to have to happen before God's people finally are vindicated, right? Uh, That's kind of what makes him turn pale at, at, at the thought of this. But Verses 26 and 27, God's people are ultimately victorious. And, and the only thing I wanted to mention here is it seems to me, you know, we, we immediately think of that and we go, oh, yeah, the kingdom was established and we have no problem with that. Right. And, 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 and mm-hmm. Christ came and now, you know, the, the church is the kingdom of God. You know, there's there's Cats all this and dogs playing together. <laughs> there's all this thought. But I think for the people in Daniel's day and, and maybe even Daniel himself, they would have thought of this as as a political reality. Hmm. They would have thought there's going to come a time when um, Israel is going to be is going to be the ones who who, who call the shots, and uh, God is going to establish His kingdom in Israel forever. And, and the reason I mention that is this is what I think the problem we have with the disciples mm-hmm. misunderstanding Jesus' teaching in, in the Gospels is they're thinking in very you know, we often say militaristic or political terms. You know, James and John come and say, "Hey, when you enter into your kingdom in 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 Jerusalem, can we sit at your right and your your left hand?" You know, and, and I I don't think they're being stupid or anything. I think they are they are reacting exactly to the worldview that they have been raised in. Books like Daniel that says, "Hey, things are going to get bad," and I'd say by the time you get Daniel, there's at least some people who are interpreting it to say. Hey, we're in the time of that last kingdom, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we're we're waiting for and we're looking forward to the time when the messianic kingdom will be established. So when you start to say things like "I think Jesus is the Messiah," and you start telling other people that kind of thing, you know this is where we get those those passages where it's things like, you know, the the crowd is following him. John chapter six, and they try to make him king by force. Mm-hmm. They're like, "This is this is finally the way it, it's happening." Um, 
that that was the widespread thought. And I think it comes from passages like this. Again, we look at this and we're like, you know, after the after the death, burial, and resurrection, and after Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God for 40 days, we have an understanding that this is not a political kind of kingdom, but is but is a spiritual kingdom or however we want to put that. And uh, I just wanted to point out, I think in Daniel's day, they would have seen this. I mean, the kingdom of God would have been, hear what I'm saying, no different than the way the Medes and the Persians defeat the Babylonians. Right, exactly. I mean, and that's the whole problem of most of the New Testament. <laughs> you know what I mean? What Jesus right. is beginning, they, they, they can't understand it. It reminded me, we, we did the episode on, uh, I think it was Mark 8, where Jesus yeah. had healed a man partially. Yep. He was blind, and he saw people, but they were fuzzy like trees, and it was this yeah. parallel to how the disciples could see part yeah. of who Jesus was, yeah. but clearly couldn't see the spiritual reality of, of what right. was going on, that there was a um, there was a progressive nature of their them understanding who understanding, Jesus was. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> just saying, you know, there's, you know, I think the thing is, is you know, I always say is like, so what? So what do we do with yeah. this? I mean, is it, you know, yeah. I think this is kind of the the revelation piece for us yeah. again. Again, Daniel came first before Revelation, <laughs> as you pointed out so clearly. How I misspoke. I, I mean, I, I, I wasn't. It was I, no, never mind. Anyway, yes. Um, but that, you know, this is the kingdom of God is coming, but yes. it may not look how you think it's going yeah. it's, it's to look that God is on, that, that God is on the throne. Here. I think that's, you know, that's the big message we take away is that even when, even in times of turmoil, even when everything might seem to be on the, on the verge of, you know, absolute destruction, we place our trust in the fact that God is on is on the throne, uh, we don't put our trust in horses. We don't put our trust in princes, right? Uh, we we put our trust in the Maker of heaven and earth, and so I think that's I think that's the that's the message. That's the message of the Book of Revelation. That's the message of the of the Book of Daniel. I think uh, as well. Like I mentioned, in different in in times when God's people were being affected by different kingdoms, but but that's mm-hmm. the message. Yeah, I feel like we've said that several times on this podcast. <laughs> you know, well, you, you know, it's a, it's a constant theme. You know that that it's constantly being reinforced in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It seems yeah. that there's um, that there's both sides of that that are, that are happening there. That that reminder of who of who God is. And and I think that for um, that that you know we want the Book of Revelation in some ways and the Book of Daniel to be complex specific. D- descriptions of of what is to what is to come, but I think the message basically is no matter who might you know um, who might cause difficulties or cause problems for God's people, that God continues to be sovereign. You know, that's the message. And and I'm sorry if it's too simple. You know, I'm sorry if it's just the, the you know. And that's where I think you see, you see the repetition, but it, it it's just being being taught to us in different kinds of ways i think so yeah so you know i think this is kind of going back to the thing that we talked about at the beginning like this is a time of seeming turmoil in our world you know like right. but it's this is not new turmoil like right. like that we experience is not new and you know i think we can get caught up in kind of going well is this this is this this kingdom or right. this this kingdom but the you know the main message i think that we're that we're seeing here is that 
God is God, you know, like this is, uh, that he is on the throne and he is sovereign overall. And that, um, no matter what may come, there is a kingdom, you know, he is, he is establishing his kingdom, um, and that he will, it's not in Daniel here, but he, he will return. It reminds me of a song, you know, I, you know, I usually bash on worship songs, (laughs) right? Um, but there's a, a, uh, a group called City of Light, and they have a song called Ancient of Days. Oh, really? And the lines are, though the nations rage, kingdoms yeah. rise and fall, there is still one king ruling over all. Yeah. And, and, uh, it, it's, I think, though I may not see what the future brings, uh, I know my God is the Ancient of Days. You right. know, it's kind of this idea of, just as in Daniel and revelation who's copying off daniel um you know that the, we we don't know you know but we have this message of god's judgment he's, and that his sample are rescued him. he's, he's sampling sampling him. Him. oh my gosh this whole episode it goes back to the, the oh, r&b artist sampling yeah, yeah john's sampling daniel <laughs> so all i you know it reminds me of what jesus says in the in the little apocalypse that that there will be wars and rumors of wars right but the the end is still to come mm-hmm. and, and so yeah, you think about all the wars in human history, and uh, you know people saw the the um, you know Yom Kippur War, the Seven Days of War, as, as which is you know the last time we had an official declaration of war um, by Israel. Um, you know they saw that as the beginning of the end, and you know all, all these different. Uh, all these different periods of time, the the return of Israel to its homeland back in the, in forty eight, I think, you know, all these were seen as kind of the the harbinger to the end, and and, and don't get me wrong, they are <laughs> right, but it is it is no different than than this promise that we have that as long as there are these kind of things happening, you know, the end has not yet come. Yeah. So. One of these times, it will be the last time. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I was talking to somebody this last week and they were mentioning this and, and I think they, they said it very well, but you know, all it means for us is that we need to be, continue to be faithful. That's, that's the yep. message for us is we need to continue to be faithful. Yeah. Well, Brian, thanks so much. Yeah. Deep dive into Daniel here. <laughs> you know, it's getting into the, the part, you know, again, yeah. there's so much, um, kind of things that are happening between the Old and the New Testament that illuminate yep. Scripture and help us understand um, some of the things that are happening here and how, you know, God's people would have heard this or experienced these things. But may, the, the most important message is that while this is all happening, that God is still, God is still overall. Right. All right. Absolutely. Well, Brian, thanks so much. All right. Looking forward to uh, yeah. chatting with you next week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please uh, share uh, you know, if you're on YouTube, uh, you know, share, like, comment, you know, we appreciate that. Uh, share the podcast. You can become a supporter of ours. Uh, we got a new supporter this last week, Stacy. Welcome to the crew. Wow. Um, and, Thanks, uh, you know, yeah, that, uh, you know, we appreciate your support helps us pay for some of the costs of just doing this and this is the labor that goes into it. Brian puts a lot of work, even though, even though it didn't seem sometimes without the coffee, but Brian puts a lot of work into it. Um, and we what? got the technical side of it. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. 
It just uh, it just some things came out differently today. Yeah, yeah, right. I was not on my t- on top of my. It was game. Good. it was still good. <laughs> you got Isaiah and Jeremiah. I mean, you got to yeah, mix that, Isaiah. But, They're close. But anyway, if you're enjoying the podcast, <laughs> please share. Send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Um. And uh, Brian, it's always I will encouraging see- when we hear somebody say, "Yeah, this is this has been helpful for me." So. Yes. Well, Brian, thanks so much. Appreciate yep. it, and uh, I'll see you next Tuesday. I'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.